I enjoy working with such amazing produce and the small farms and, and it easily drives me when I've got other people saying, oh, can you use this? And I'm like, absolutely, we'll, we'll create something, we'll do a special this weekend. Or it's a fair, I suppose it's a fairly simple philosophy, really. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Noosa has become a genuine holiday destination for those in search of the sun. But it's also become a new home for so many lured by the surf and the throng of incredible restaurants making their mark on the region. What do you need to consider when running a restaurant that relies on tourists and locals in equal measure? Chris Hagen is the head chef of Locale in Noosa. Chris, how are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's awesome to get you on the show. You're part of a really thriving sort of food scene there in Noosa that's really exploded in the last sort of five to ten years. What's things like at the moment? Uh, yeah, things are going well. It's, um, it's a pretty good winter season. Um, it's been, you know, pretty consistent over the last sort of 12 months or so, or two years even. Tell, tell us a little bit about um, Noosa and what the food scene is like at the moment. Um, it's pretty exciting to be honest. There's a lot of sort of new restaurants opening up. Um, obviously, Locarno is a bit of a staple because um, Rio's had the restaurant for about ten years, and we'll be celebrating our birthday um, in September for ten years. Um, you know, but I mean, the 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 scenes changed quite dramatically. Um, Noosa Junction come on, you know, uh, volumes in the last couple of years, and sort of um, created a bit of a different dining scene as well. Um, uh, but again it's still very kind of tourist driven um, and, and the restaurants are kind of set up and designed a bit around that as well there's quite a few sort of producers in the region in the greater region as well tell us a little bit about sort of um, the producers that you connect with and what sort of produce you have access to yeah I mean I'm very fortunate from that perspective I mean I've been on the coast for, for eight years I think nine years now um, and sort of built relationships with some small producers and whatnot. Um, uh, we are lucky enough within the group that we do have Maravista Farm. So we actually work pretty closely and they sort of grow grow for the restaurant. Um, you know, so we, I've actually got a meeting next week with Wade and Baz to sit down about summer crops and stuff. Um, so we're pretty, pretty lucky from that perspective. Um, but then also like with guys like Peter from Noosa Reds and then Dan from Mountaintop Mushrooms, um, having access to that sort of produce, it makes, you know, kind of makes my life quite easy <laughs> in the scheme of things. You mentioned one of the farms there is growing stuff for you. What sort of things are you getting them to grow that specifically sort of caters for what you want to do? Um, like this time of year, we're getting a lot of sort of spigarello. So that kind of, you know, Italian basca. Um that we can utilize and then a lot of sort of herbs, sorrels and stuff as well so to garnish. But then we've also got, I mean, depending on the soils as well, like we've got a lot of pumpkin coming through at the moment um, or just finishing um, and carrots will be kicking off pretty soon. Um, yeah, it's just, it obviously varies through the season, but, it, you know, it kind of, um, we just utilize like the cranberry hibiscus is a really good one because it's sometimes quite hard to get. Um, we get a really kind of lovely citrusy flavour from it, um, you know. So that kind of that pushes things that what what sort of we can't get every day at the restaurant. We can try and then grow 
so we can have sort of those a little bit of unique products as well the the waters in that region have some pretty extraordinary seafood as well is that is that sort of something that you tap into yeah absolutely i mean we work with um a couple of local fishermen um dave actually goes out and i generally get a phone call when he's on the boat going i've just caught this do you want it and i'm like yeah absolutely um, you know i think we ended up with a 26 kilo um cod the other week wow which, yeah <laughs> um which was pretty impressive but yeah so i mean how i think it comes down to relationships and, and connections over the years of you know and people you know trusting you as well to do to do right by the product but what do you do with the 26 kilo cod how do you make utilize it in a restaurant setting and um, oh, i mean we broke it all down and just took all the fillets but then obviously all the, the frames and, and everything we use into stocks um and, and made a really nice kind of roasted broth from it um and then i mean i tried especially with the restaurant i don't necessarily specify certainly fish or seafood just because you know it can vary and i don't want to get stuck on any any one thing um you know if, if dave's got mackerel or you know or cod or you know it can go on the menu um and the same we use the guys up in bundaberg um the seafood smokery they were getting some amazing fresh spanish mackerel through the season that that just shipped down to us and, and it was it was fantastic what sort of impact does that have on your creative process, sort of relying on a phone call and then finding out what you'll be getting? Is, does it change the way you approach your cookery? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so it can certainly um, change uh, the, the cooking technique and then how we approach it. Um, I mean, for me, a, a nice piece of pan-fried fish is probably, you know, it's just napped in butter is probably one of the best things I can eat. Um, but obviously not all fish, you know, necessarily suits that. And, you know, we, we vary to techniques and what we can do to, to get the best out of the product, really. Well, I want to explore what you're doing at Locale uh, shortly and amazing to think it's been there for almost a decade now as well. Um, but take us back to when you were young. Where, where did you grow up and what sort of role did food play for you? Um, I suppose, I mean, originally from sort of Manchester or Stockport area um, and I think memories of food was actually spent a lot of time at my, my grandma's house and she was amazing at baking cakes um, and that kind of, you know, knowing I could go around to grand's and get a nice piece of cake. <laughs> um, you know, you kind of encourage it after school. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think from from a child, I mean, actually I was, a, if, I think if you ask my parents, I'm a really fussy eater when I was a kid. <laughs> And that it would be fish and chips and ketchup, like that would be the kind of extent of it, um, which has obviously come a long way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think from from memories of food, it was always, especially being in the northwest of England, uh, there was always a lot of kind of slow cooker meals. Like I'd always remember before we'd go to school, my mum throwing heaps of stuff in the slow cooker, and then getting home from school and it would be kind of ready to go after a few hours and, and just the smells in the kitchen walking through. And, um, I mean, that was always fun, you know, and we always kind of sat down together at the table, um, as much as possible. Um, that was kind of, you know, as much as I probably wanted to be on the backfield playing football at the time, um, we still were encouraged to sit down. So <laughs> when did you first sort of, think about a career as a chef and what were those first steps for you 
I think, uh, to be honest, I think probably for, for a lot of people, I, I started off washing dishes. Um, my auntie had a, a wine bar in Altrincham um, when I was kind of 14, 15. Um, so I'd just do Saturdays, you know, during the day washing dishes and then occasionally glass collecting. Um, and I, you kind of felt the buzz, I think, and, and, and the feeling of, of you know, it going well, more so, rather than it going wrong. Um, and then, sort of, I, I think for work experience, when I was sort of last year of school, I ended up working at um, Stockport County Football Club just uh, for two weeks in that kind of, in doing the players and the members and that kind of thing. And, and that kind of opened my eyes a bit to what kind of catering could be, um, you know, and, and the avenues that it has. Um, and also, I mean, there was one sort of key thing was um, in 2000, obviously when um, Kitchen Confidential came out and it would, I think it, my dad had BBC four on the radio or something and they were reading chapters of it. And I was kind of, um, yeah, and I kind of got caught up and I was like, oh, this, you know, this uh, kind of got the bug from there, really. And yeah, I mean, just from there, I mean, kind of moving to, deciding to actually go to, to catering college and then um, in Sheffield. And um, yeah, I mean, that, that was a really good experience for me. Um, yeah, and, and I had a lot of support there as well um, from from the lecturers and they were sort of all ex-chefs and wanted to go push a bit more as well, like an old school chef, I think. You cut your teeth in the in the UK. Well, what were the really sort of important venues and people that you worked with as you started to build your career? Um, I think one of the big opportunities, uh, certainly getting into the Michelin Star restaurant, um, was was Fishers at Oslo Hall. Um, and they had a, they actually had a quite a strong relationship with Sheffield College. Um, Rupert, who was the head chef at the time, um, had actually just come back from Hospital Road and was taken over as head chef at, at Fisher's. And um, Max was still chef patron, but they were in the, the, the catering college restaurant at the time. And Rupert was doing a dinner because he was an ex ex um, college. Um, a student, um, and it was I was I was actually on the floor at the time, just you know doing my level two in in food service and stuff. And it was I was serving Max's table, and Max actually offered me a job that night of saying I oh, would love to have you in on the floor and and you know come and see how see how you go. And then um, having that opportunity, even though I wanted to be a chef, sort of starting on the floor at this amazing restaurant and learning some of the basics of the floor, and then eventually progressing into the kitchen as well um yeah that was probably a, a fairly sort of key key motivator for me to continue do you have any stories of your time there of a, a really important moment um i think some of the sort of believing i could do it eventually i mean i did through the tape i did a, a coloring competition that the guys supported me on and um, it gave me the option to actually sort of um, go traveling in New Zealand. So it was a, it was a um, UK NZ link foundation, which was kind of headed by um, Peter Gordon at the time. Um, and I ended up winning that. Um, 
and it kind of gave me a chance to get over to New Zealand and do kind of a six week stage around New Zealand. Um, so it was a, a good opportunity and, and I think having the support of the guys at Fishers and, and of the college as well, like um, just pushing me, obviously we're still pretty busy restaurant, um, but then still having the time as well to kind of help me and mentor me through that um, was a huge opportunity. And that kind of got me over this side of the world as well. Take us on a journey through that six week of stages that you had in New Zealand. Um, what was the experience like for you? Um, it was to me, it was pretty daunting. Like I'd, I'd um, never really travelled on my own before, um, and I think you know. But at the same time, everyone was so welcoming, um, and seeing the different styles of restaurants and and the food that was on offer there, and, and ingredients that I'd never you know never heard of, um, was a real sort of eye opening experience, um, and something I kind of wanted to feel more of. Um, you know, like being able to, you know, being able to see these different styles. And I suppose because I'd always, always kind of wanted to do fine dining um, and spent a few years in, with, with the kind of fishers in Michelin and see what, you know, very modern European restaurants, whereas getting into New Zealand and seeing all these sort of more Asian flavors coming through and working with people that were Chinese trained or Japanese trained. Um, chefs which would kind of, sort of open my eyes a bit more to to what is sort of the culinary side over here um and far more use than ingredients used um that i would never have seen staying in the uk i think you, you ended up um moving to new zealand um for, for quite a while tell us about that transition and what experiences you had yeah i mean i was pretty fortunate like, i worked at the grove in in auckland um, and which see my at the time Sid um, was the head chef, and now he's got a sort of small restaurant empire going on in in Auckland as well. Um, he's done really well. Um, and Michael still owns the Grove, um, and it's a you know, institution of Auckland dining. Um, and then I kind of I wanted to see a bit more, so I ended up moving up north um, a bit more, and then got an opportunity at Paya Beach and your taste uh, the restaurant at the time and you know they had a as part of the company they had a sort of 72 foot launch and a private island where the owners lived but also rented out for, for guests and stuff as well so that was a kind of a, a big step of kind of seeing a whole different side of things as well um, you know and catering for you know Carson to just go out diving that morning if they wanted the crayfish and then we just cook it up for them on the island. Like it was, it was pretty unique, um, pretty special. New Zealand is a, a pretty special place and stunning. It's a beautiful place with incredible ingredients as well. Were there any sort of unique uh, ingredients that you've sort of found in New Zealand and worked with that you hadn't previously used? Um, I mean, some of the fish, like harpocker and, and whatnot. Like I, I, you know, I sort of fell in love with. Um, you know, things like tonka bean and, and spices that I'd, I'd probably, you know, been a little bit neglected of because I've been sort of so European food focused. Um, I think for me, especially being in Northland, was was having access to the farms. That, that changed my kind of um, approach a lot. 
and working with a guy called Gordon who had a farm in Kerry Kerry. And, you know, again, that kind of started a bit more of that farm to plate um, ethos, um, which I, I'd probably missed a little bit. I mean, just going back to fishers, like one of the, one of the things, the memory of me standing stood out for me there was um, one of my first days of actually being back in the kitchen and there was, was going out to the garden, picking the baby leeks um, to make a terrain. So I'd already had that kind of, you know, we were, had the kitchen garden and we were, you know, making these things. I think it was a, a baby leek and lobster or langoustine terrine um, at the time. And I'd kind of had that feeling there and then being able to actually work with a commercial farm, uh, just kind of, you know, enhance that drive of, you know, wanting to use that uh, and, and focus on that. What triggered the move to Australia? Um, I think I'd actually sort of become head chef at the restaurant and I felt a little bit, to be honest, I, I got quite comfortable. <laughs> Um, and I felt like I, you know, I potentially needed a change and needed to progress in my career. I probably, you know, maybe spent a couple more years there than looking back now, I probably spent a couple more years there than I probably should have. Um, and yeah, I just sort of had the opportunity and, and moved to Australia and then fortunate enough, um, uh, to get a job at the lake house. Um, so I was so only on a when we first came over, we were on sort of a working holiday visa. Um, so for my first six months of sort of working at uh, the lake house with Allah and and Dave was the head chef at the time. Um, and that was an, an amazing experience. Um, of seeing what kind of a, a two hat restaurant can do. Um, yeah, I mean, I for a lot of it was sort of, you know, the opportunity over here was um, was much greater. Allah Wolf Tusker's influence is astounding on the culinary landscape. Uh, uh, what was she like to work with? Do you have any stories of, of what that was like? Oh, to be honest, it was quite motivating, like the way she operated um, the kitchen and, you know, like once a week. Um, the, the chef to parties and sous chefs would sit down and talk about, you know, menu ideas or um, things that we can do better. And that that was never something I'd seen before um, and kind of a really sort of creative journey um, on menus and, and progression. Um, you know, I was very fortunate to, you know, as much as it was probably only a short time, um, very fortunate to be a part of that. We've had quite a few uh, people on the show sort of take a step back from roles to sort of learn their craft uh, in greater detail. You, you did that when you came to Australia and moved to Dalesford. What, what sort of impact did sort of stepping back down the ranks a little bit have on you? Um, to be honest, I was quite happy. Um, I mean, I've always been, I've always enjoyed learning. Yeah, I'm still now, you know, you, you, you're still constantly learning. Um, so I, I had no sort of pretensions that, that I was, you know, I'd been a head chef. I was, I was quite happy stepping into a, a chef to party role and, and showing that I can, you know, do it on, on this sort of level as well. Um, and, and challenging myself to be able to do that and then learning from, you know, Matt and, and 
uh, Dave and um, you know the other sous chefs that yeah I I can still I can still be because I think I'd, I'd felt a bit lost by the end of New Zealand um, and, and kind of what I was doing um, so to to get back into this and see see what see how I could cook again um, was a really good opportunity. You spent a bit of time in South Australia as well. How different was that to your experiences in Dalesford? Um, yeah, it was quite different. I mean, my wife at the time, um, well, she's still my wife, but at the time she was in the wine industry. <laughs> um, so she did vintage over there. Um, so it was a good opportunity for me just to kind of hang out in some winery kitchens um, and sort of see a different side of, side of the world as well. Um, obviously having the option to travel uh, and, and be in South Australia was, was a kind of beautiful part of the world. Um, the 40 degree heat through summer wasn't ideal, but I'll, uh, we'll take it. <laughs> um, you know, like I think winery food has its own place. Um, and certainly like some of the wines in that area were incredible and, I know you know, Sarah learned a lot from doing vintage and, and working with some winemakers and stuff. Um, yeah, and then sort of got the option. We we can't weren't really sure like our, which direction to go once we were in South Australia. Um, we're either going to go over to WA or end up in Queensland. Um, so we did the drive to. We kind of heard that you know Brisbane had a bit of a food scene happening at the time, um, and we kind of made the drive north. Uh-huh. Wow! Yeah, what was that drive like? That's an extraordinary long way. Yeah, it was intense, and we had a little um, Hyundai accent, I think it was, which I'm amazed got there. <laughs> um, and being like, we took a few of the inland roads and just straight straight lines for miles were were quite sort of daunting, um, and sort of stopping in these little sort of these small towns along the way. Um, yeah, it was great from a you know from a a life experience of doing it, um, but I was quite happy to get back into the kind of the main cities. <laughs> well, we ended up in Queensland um, and at the Long Apron as well, a, a award-winning uh, establishment. Um, what was that like? Yeah, I mean, the Long Apron was amazing. Um, I think I was the total of six years. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a fantastic opportunity. I mean, I, I started at, when we got to Brisbane, we started at Urbane. And we were sort of, you know, and I had a great time working for Alejandro and, and um, Andy Buchanan, who ran the restaurant. Um, you know, it was an amazing experience. And then, you know, it was always sad when things like that closed down because, again, it was a kind of an institution of Brisbane dining at the time. Um. But then having the option to kind of move up the coast and see a bit more and, and you know, work for, for Spices in the Long Apron. And Cam Matthews as well, you know, he was, I mean, we're still very close friends and, you know, working under him um, was a was great experience for me. You know, his approach on food was, was quite different to what I'd, I'd worked with before. How did the opportunity with Locale come about? Um, 
I think timing more than anything. Um, so my wife actually works worked for Locale at the time. She was the head sommelier there, and then um, the current head chef I think was was going to go and do private catering, and it was just a, a bit of a conversation I had with Rio, and um, it was like you know this was this I'd never really worked in anything large scale before, um, and this was then you know an opportunity for me to carry on learning and and see what I can do with a, with a, you know, high volume, certainly through summer. Um, yeah, so that was, it was kind of, you know, a much bigger team. So, you know, sort of challenge my people management skills and, um, yeah, uh, yeah, just take the opportunity really. If you compare you as a head chef when you're in New Zealand compared to your role now, how different are you and how different is your approach? Oh, very much so. <laughs> very different. Um, I mean, I think, you know, I was looking back, I was far too young to be a head chef back then. Um, and I think the way I came across was probably a bit more arrogant. And, you know, I, I think I had the ability to cook, um, but... You know, I think now knowing that, you know, I think it's more about being a leader and, and motivating your team is what creates amazing restaurants, you know, rather than just one person being able to cook. Um, you know, and I think that is something I try and try and do with, with my guys in the kitchen and, and you know, the juniors, um, apprentices and things is... is motivate them to be better and and you know try and get try and get the most out of them tell us a little bit about the food at locale that you're doing well i'd say it's it's probably modern modern italian um but obviously i think obviously being in australia there's it's very heavily in you know australian sort of palate as well um but we try to keep things reasonably simple i think you know for a restaurant like that to be to be successful especially with with some of the numbers we can do is about consistency and i think you know writing menus that i know give me flexibility in in what fish we can use or or what produce we can use but at the same time knowing that we can execute everything you know really well you know day in day out um just about sort of um, clever menu writing, really, um, and structuring the kitchen so we can, you know, still keep a high standard, but then still do, you know, be successful with revenue and numbers and everything. Is there a uh, dish or two you can take us through that sort of exemplifies uh, your approach to cooking? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I suppose the barat is a nice one at the moment. Um, just we were getting the baby onions from the farm. Um, so we were just doing a, a you, know, you know, obviously quite uniquely um, Italian is burrata. You know, it's beautiful. And we use the vanilla um, guys, which is an incredible product. Um, and just do a nice uh, red onion jam. Um, and then the baby onions from the farm, we just pickle a slightly sweet, sweet pickle and then caramelize them so you kind of get that bitter bitter sweet savory um happening and then um when the figs were available we'd have fresh fig on um you know just to kind of 
uh, oh, sorry, they were slightly salted. Um, and then just a kind of all, and then we make a, a gluten-free lavash um, just to kind of keep things simple during service so we're not having to change anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just eats really nicely. You've got kind of sweet, sweet, savory flavors, creaminess, richness from the cheese and, and then texture from the lavash. It just, but a kind of nice, simple flavor profile as well. Um, you're, not, you're not changing the wheel too much. You've worked at many, uh, many venues, but um, as you said at the top of the show, Locale is uh, going to be celebrating a decade uh, during September. What's it like being part of a, a restaurant that's been around for so long and so important to the local community? Um, oh, I think it's great. I mean, I think Rio and, Rio and Amanda have done an amazing job to, to appeal to a lot of locals. Um, which I think obviously through the, the off season, I mean, as much as Noosa doesn't necessarily have an off season, um, you know, the, the support of the locals is, is incredible. Um, and yeah, they come to the pass and say hello and you know, we chat a little bit. Um, yeah, I think they feel connected and special to it. Um, you know, which I think you know, for any restaurant is important. I mean, Holiday makers and tourists are amazing, but the locals are kind of the bread and butter, and that's what supports you through through the year. Um, you know, and, and then obviously, I think you know, using the, the producers as well, the, everything. If you seem to be supporting local, I think the locals will support you as well. From a creative side of things, is is it hard to strike a balance between um, sort of? pleasing the locals but also pleasing the tourists is there different things to consider when you're creating a menu in that sense um yeah absolutely and the, i mean a kid's menu is one especially for the for the tourists <laughs> um you know we see i suppose you see different times of the service you know who the tourists are and who the locals are um and then who the the kind of the the southern states are as well because they actually like eating like and we'll get tables at nine nine thirty, whereas I think a lot of the a lot of the locals will probably quite happily eat at six. Uh, but it, I mean, it's always important to try and sort of balance your menu in regards to. You know, we want to be creative, but at the same time, we. Um, I'm very conscious of, you know, that the locale is, is quite traditional in some of the dishes, like the, the crab tagliatelle has been on for for years, so it been far pre-exists me. Um, but it's something I'll never change, and Rio doesn't want to change it because it, it it's a staple of the restaurant. Um, you know, whereas there's other things I can get a bit creative and, and with and, and try and showcase, like, you know, Moulbar Prawn Crudo at the moment. Um, you know, it, it challenges, it can challenge people, but at the same time, it's safe enough for them to, to eat as well. Like, um, yeah, I think it's important to try and get a bit of a balance because you don't want to kind of alienate, alienate, um, either market really, either the locals or the tourists. Um, well, you're doing amazing things up there in Noosa. What do you love about what you do? Uh, I think... You know, for me, it's kind of the drive and the passion behind it um, and the motivation to kind of, you know, feed people. I think is probably the easiest way of saying it. Um, 
Yeah, I think I've always been quite happy when people come into the past and say, oh, it's, it, it was amazing dinner and stuff. You get a lot of fulfillment out of that. Um, you know, so you, you take the, the good with the bad as well. Um, but you know, I think, and driving the young ones, I've sort of, yeah, actually, the, the guys that are getting into the industry now, and and you know, Valentino is one of my school-based apprentices at the moment, and so I'm working with him and seeing how the progression of how he can come along and and kind of the next generation. You know, that's that's reasonably encouraging and and keeps kind of motivating me as well. Um, and again, uh, I suppose we've, we've kind of touched on this, but the produce like it. it I enjoy working with such amazing produce It kind of, you know, in the small farms and, and whatnot, it kind of, it easily drives me when I've got other people saying, oh, can you use this? And I'm like, absolutely, we'll, we'll create something, we'll do a special this weekend or, you know, um, you know it, it's a fair, I suppose it's a fairly simple philosophy, really. Well, it's an absolute honour to get you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Um, Please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. All right, great. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au and be well.